that we were born to change the world or else we're unnecessary. And to view yourself as necessary, to view yourself as a world changer. And I think the feedback I've heard from people who've gotten that in deep down inside is they have realized that world changing isn't a big thing. It's in a whole bunch of small things. Welcome to Starve the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Our co-host today is Mark Sievercrop, a former distinguished guest from the show and also a co-host from the Happen to Your Career podcast. And he writes a little bit over at Sievercrop.com. Hey, Mark. Hey, how's it going, Jared? It's going great. I'm thrilled today because we get to chat with none other than Matt McWilliams. Matt is an author, speaker, and the man behind MattMcWilliams.com. He is a world changer and he believes everyone is too. He wants to make it clear, though, that he will not make us become world changers because all of us already are. Rather, his mission is to help us find that kind of person inside of us. Through his blog site, MattMcWilliams.com, he shares his own amazing stories and experiences as well as lessons he learned from a variety of sources covering topics about love, forgiveness, success, gratitude, leadership, and love. Matt is also the author of the book, The Power of Gratitude, and the founder of The Thank You Revolution. Matt, it is a pleasure to have you. Mark and I are ready to join The Thank You Revolution. Welcome to the show. Jared, I think we're done. Just go to my (laughs) website and uh, this will be the shortest podcast you've ever done. We're good. (laughs) Well, before we let you off the hook that fast, you are going to be on the hot seat today, Matt. Mark and I are going to make sure of that. Yes. And we're going to kick off with the icebreaker that we ask everybody on the show. What is the best concert that you have ever been to? Oh, wow. I have to go with two, actually. I used to, I spent about half my life in Nashville. And both of these are just like, they're totally Nashville stories. The first one was my friend of mine and I named Hunter Ingram. We went to see one of our favorite artists, Ari Hest, who most people have not heard of, but he was the headlining act at this. I mean, really, it's functionally, it's a bar. There's probably 200 people there. And we go to see him. But the cool thing about it, and again, this is so Nashville, was the two opening acts. I'm talking like the one who played at 7 o'clock p.m. and then the one that played at like 5.30, you know, when nobody's even off work yet. And we got there at about 6, third of the way into the opening act, and it was a band called Detox. And they played this one song called Daisy. Hunter and I just kept looking at each other like, this song is amazing. And I had it in my head for days. Never even heard of these guys. Well, two, three years later, I just happened to be flipping through the channels and I heard that song on the radio and they had actually changed their name. Uh, They were called Halfway to Hazard and they were on tour with Tim McGraw. And I'm thinking, I saw these guys with like 199 other people. They were the 530 wow. act. Wow. No, nobody goes <laughs> to the 530 act. You know? I didn't even dinner yet before I saw these guys and, and I watched them. And then the second person that played with Ari Hess that night was a lady named Missy Higgins. Well, come to find out, again, two to three years later, Missy Higgins has the number one album in Australia, top 10 in America, just huge, just absolutely huge. I'm like, again, I watched her with 199 other people. It was crazy. And then same guy, we saw Ari Hest about a year later also in Nashville, and his opening act was a band called The Ducks. And they're like a country, folk, gospel, bluegrass, Canadian band with a fully tattooed Asian lady singing lead, and <laughs> violins, fiddles. I mean, you, I mean, this is crazy. And again, about two years later, they had the number one song on CMT. So I've seen all these people, they were opening acts for the same guy. Nobody's heard of him, and the other three are all like <laughs> have number one hits. 
Yeah, I want to open for R.E.S. Yeah. So I'll take the 530 I think slot. that's the secret to success in music is open for R.E.S. Poor Ari. I mean, he's selling like 20,000 albums each time, and they've all got number one hits now. That's cool. Well, actually, I am familiar with R.E.S., so good choice. Wow, good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with his music. All right, let's do finish this sentence. And Mark, if you'd kick us off. So, Matt, if Sam Walton were to visit Walmart today... Blank. Blank. He would be very pleased with some stuff and not so pleased with others. It's kind of an ambiguous answer, but I think there's a lot of things that Walmart is doing right and there's a lot of things that they're doing wrong. He had, I forget what they were called. They were like Sam Walton's 10 principles. I forget the exact name that he named them for Walmart when he started it. And uh, I actually wrote about this. I'm sure if you just go to mattmcwilliams.com and search Walmart, you'll find I wrote two posts about it. So I think he would be ambiguous and I think he would compliment them on four or five or six of those principles. And I think on the other four or five, he would shake his head and shake things up. Would he shake his head based on the wardrobe of the customers? <laughs> I, I think I'm not entirely sure. Sam Walton's still alive? Because if he's not, I think he passed. He yes, is definitely yeah. rolling over in his grave multiple times per day. <laughs> I was in a store over Christmas, and one of the things they had was the People of Walmart desk calendar. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would not purchase that. Oh, it's hysterical. <laughs> oh, I've got through about five of them before I just, yeah. I realized, I think I just need to go live on a secluded island because right. I'm afraid to associate with people like that. <laughs> that was, yeah. Let's go, let's go to blank versus blank. We'll give you a couple of options if you'd be willing to choose one and a short reason why. And the first one is, which would you rather do? Would you rather blow dry your hands versus listen to a message from our president? Oh, wow. Is there a difference? <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk, let's uh, talk, about, politi- political let's talk about politics. Yeah. <laughs> Can we discuss like, religion after that? Okay, okay? Let, me, let me put it this way. Any president over the past 20 years, I would say there's not much difference in the sound at least. Okay. Duly noted. Let's move on. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Okay. Next one, Matt. Being fake, wearing a mask versus rewiring your brain. Well, definitely rewiring your brain. It's not about hiding who you are. It's about making yourself a better version of yourself. And the best example I can give is if somebody is obese, they need to think thin. They need to talk thin. In a way, they need to fake themselves into thinking they're thin and do thin things, not not obese things. Does that mean I should eat thin mints? (laughs) I think that would be the Does wrong that count. To- oh, we're currently <laughs> is that not that thinking thin co-host? <laughs> A for effort and F Thanks. for execution on that. Thank you. Why did this turn on me? Why is this turning on me? Wait a second. Hey, keep faking it, Mark. Okay. So, Matt, you are a self-described world changer. What is your definition of a world changer? You know, I think we all inherently can picture who that is. You know, we think of like Steve Jobs, certainly changed the world. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela. There's tons of people we could think of who could change the world. But, you know, even Andy Andrews, he gives this speech where he talks about a guy named Norman Borlaug, I think is how it's pronounced, who hybridized wheat for arid climates. In fact, I was just meeting with my mentor yesterday and we were talking about this. And, you know, he hybridized wheat for arid climates. They estimate that he saved billions of lives from famine. You know, famine has, for the most part, been eradicated in this world. And not totally, but thanks to him for the most part. And the thing was, his one of the guys that got him into the position to be able to do that, I forget the guy's name, but he was the son of the Secretary of Agriculture in the United States. 
States. Well, his mentor, so to speak, in the agriculture industry was George Washington Carver. Well, the reason George Washington Carver even existed was because of Mary Washington and her husband who saved his life from Quantrill's Raiders. You know, he was kidnapped years before. And, and I think about it, if you look at back in the 1850s, 1860s, whenever it was, when George Washington Carver was rescued, what was the world's significance of saving a little black baby? to, I believe at the time, they were still constitutionally three-fifths of a person. People, that would have been inconsequential to 99.9% of the people in this world. And in a way, she was a world changer just because she did what she was called to do. So that's the best example I can give. Wow. Moving on. That was perfect. Kind of answered the next question here, Matt. What about that person that's just average? They're barely getting by. Nobody knows who they are. Is he a world changer? Which I think you answered that. But what would you say to that person? I would say you're born to be a world changer. I come from the Christian worldview. I believe that God created earth and God created man. And I reserve the right to be wrong about this philosophy. But I feel like God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't just do things just because. And God doesn't have leftover parts or leftover people. You know, He didn't make seven of us and then kind of end up with like these six arms left over and six legs and six torsos and goes, ah, crap. I got to put something together. Well, I guess I'll just put together three people. He doesn't do that. Every single person he makes has the intention of changing the world. But somewhere along the line, and I don't know when it happens. I mean, I think back to when I was a kid, I was an entrepreneur at the age of four. I was an entrepreneur at the age of five and six because my philosophy was I saw problems in the neighborhood. I saw problems in the world. And I was like, yep, I can fix that. I had no idea. It didn't matter if it cost a million dollars to solve the problem. I just knew I could fix it. But then I don't know where it happened. I I certainly can't identify this one tragic moment when my worldview was shattered. I think it's a gradual process. Somewhere along the line, we were told that we're not able to do those things. We were told to, by well-intentioned people, we were told to get a steady job, to do what's safe, to work for a big company and make sure, you know, like I said, work there for 30 years, whatever it is, to go to college and get that degree. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we were told to do these things and we were put in this box and we no longer thought we were able to impact the world, let alone change it. And uh, I realized, it's funny, I keep mentioning it, but I was meeting with my mentor yesterday and we just both realized together that most of the things we were taught wrong came from people who were, they love us and they didn't mean harm. They didn't stifle that dream of being a world changer because they hate us or because they're trying to. It's They actually did it out of love. They're just sadly mistaken because somebody did the same thing to them and somebody did the same thing to them. And, and that's how we end up average. Man, (laughs) I'm sure there's going to be a lot of listeners that are shaking their head right now. You draw a lot on your past experiences when you're writing. So what is the role of our experiences, successful and unsuccessful, in our day-to-day decision-making? Wow. It's almost everything because I know for me, when I read a book and I'm ingesting new information, so to speak, most of it relates. I've never read an idea and I can't relate to that. That's a world-changing or life-changing idea and I, I don't really know what they're talking about. It always relates to something in my mind, for me at least, this is just how my mind works. I'm constantly getting these visual reminders of, yep, that reminds me of something that happened 17 years ago and I'm tying those things together. That was this business decision that I'm making reminds me of that round of golf I played in 1994. That's how my mind works. And I don't know if everybody's like that or what, but good example, day-to-day decision-making. Almost every day I'm faced with how much do I charge for something? How much do I, whether it be my services or upcoming products or whatever, how much do I charge for this? And always, every time I remember the first time I had a client and I vastly undercharged them, despite the fact that I knew I wasn't supposed to, I'd been told by two very smart people to take whatever I think I'm worth and double it. 
or triple it. But I didn't because I had that imposter syndrome. I didn't think I was worth $300 an hour. So I charged 150. And then of course I made him six figures the next year. It would have been worth $300 an hour. So that's, that's an experience that I have to draw on every single day. Every time I'm pricing something, I just have to remember, hey, you screwed this up once, don't do it again. Matt, one of the things that I appreciate most about your writing and your blog is that you talk a lot about your failures, the things that you've done wrong and how you've overcame those. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned from a failure? Oh, wow. That's like asking somebody to pick their favorite grain of sand on a beach. (laughs) 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 I don't know if that's possible. At least what's fresh on my memory is kind of what I just said. When I got my first client two and a half, actually three years ago now, almost to the day, I undercharged him. And it's not that it wasn't worth my time. It's just that that really was a failure, not from just a financial standpoint, but I think from a confidence standpoint, despite the fact that I made him, he shared the data with me a year later, despite the fact that I doubled his income from right about $100,000 to a little over $200,000 in his business, I kind of went through the coaching process for him, the consulting process. I went through it with an attitude of um, worth it, am I worth it, am I worth it? And I don't know that I delivered as much value to him as I could have. Whereas I think if I had charged him what I should have charged him, I would have been more confident. And I don't know if that's necessarily my biggest, biggest failure of all the failures. You know, I've I've been arrested and faced 42 years in prison. I've been fired by my dad. I've only left one job on my own volition in my entire life. And actually two, I'll take that back. I did leave a job when I was 17 on my own volition, but after working there for about six weeks, just my own volition, (laughs) I just didn't show up one day because I was an idiot. But I mean, all of these failures, if this one that I just said is necessarily my biggest, but it's certainly the one that I learn the most from that again, it rings in my head every day. Thank you for that answer, Matt. Speaking of thank you, would you be willing to tell us about the thank you revolution? Good segue, Jared. (laughs) (laughs) That was bad. Yeah, you know, I was talking with somebody this week and we were talking about the concept of how, in my worldview, how God can take not necessarily the perfect intention or the perfect motive and still use it for good. And I wrote a post late 2012 called A Thank You Revolution. It was a single post. The only reason I wrote it was because one of my clients was having a 50% off on thank you note sales. And I wrote this post and I, I did it to, you know, I was like, hey, I can make a few bucks. I can sell some thank you notes. You know, and I meant what I wrote. I really, you know, the thank you notes have changed my career. They've changed my life. They've made my marriage better. They've made my friendships better. They've made me a ton of money from connections. So it's not like I didn't mean what I wrote, but the genesis of it was that I wanted to sell some thank you notes for this client. And I wrote this post and and that was the end of it. I was like, here, I wrote a post. Great. Next post. And about three weeks later, I started getting, ironically, I started getting thank you notes. In the mail, I started getting emails. And and over the next two months, I probably received about eight to 10 notes. Things saying, you've changed my career. You've, I got a promotion because of this. I had one guy say, you've saved my marriage. I'm like, okay, that's a pretty big deal. I had a guy write a guest post who's a VP at Siemens North America talking about how he's using him. I had a guy talk about how they're using the idea at their company. This post, they shared it at this 500 person company. All these stories, I mean, literally in a two month period coming from this one post, and I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I realize when something's good, you know, and I realize when an idea is clicking with my audience. And so we form the thank you revolution. And essentially what it is, is it's, it's a group of people who are committed to writing at least one handwritten thank you note a week. 
And along the way, I email them about once a week and give them some inspiration, share some stories with them to keep them inspired, but also to give them some ideas of who can they write thank you notes. Because sometimes we run out of ideas like, well, I've written my boss five times this year. I've written my team. And I say things, what about the garbage men? You know, the guys who pick up your trash every single week, like clockwork. And why not write them a thank you note or teacher or somebody else, a police officer, whoever, and give people ideas about who to write thank you notes to. You know, Matt, one of the things that's really neat is I've been part of that revolution from, I think, about the beginning. And and you've told so many awesome stories that have gone along with that. And you alluded to some of those. But could you share one awesome story, either that you've already shared on your blog or maybe one that you haven't, that's resulted from writing a thank you note that you've heard? There are so many. It's kind of hard to pick one, but you're making me. I had one recently, and I'm actually forgetting a few of the details, but there was a guy recently who had written to me, and we had been in contact periodically about different things with regarding Thank You Revolution. Anyway, he wrote to me. He's actually wants to remain anonymous. He let me share his story as long as I keep it anonymous, because if I did say he's in an industry that is small enough where if I said even his real first name, people might actually know who it is. And because there's some sensitive financial information, he didn't really want me giving his name. So I picked a name and named him Greg. I said, I think I even wrote about how I wanted to call him like Rufus or, you know, like an old Hawaiian king, like King Shawayawea or something. I don't know what it was. But I gave him like three names to pick from and he said Greg. So with that... <laughs> He didn't go with the Hawaiian prince? No. Oh, what was he thinking? Um, yeah, but he was in a position, oh, I don't know, like a year, about a year, eh, six to nine months ago. Hated his job, hated his boss. His boss was a jerk. He was a tyrant. And he was in a very similar situation that what I found myself in years ago, where basically every night that he went home, it became a, a wine festival to his wife. And she was getting tired of it. She did the exact same thing my wife did, which just said, okay, I'm giving you an ultimatum. You either need to leave your job or I'm leaving you because <laughs> you know, the stress is getting way too much. And so that was his situation. And he read a post that I had written basically that said, I think it was called, I can't afford to leave this job or I can't afford to quit this job, something like that. It was about how if you have no network to fall back on, you are stuck in your job. You're a prisoner to your current job. So he read about that. He started writing thank you notes and he wrote them to his colleagues, his friends, his network. And he was writing them to kind of build up this network because he wanted to look for a job soon. And he wrote one to his boss. Only reason he wrote one to his boss was he wanted to kind of mollify his boss if anybody ever talked to him. You know, he's like, I need to soothe things over with my boss, even though he's a jerk. And he wrote to him and he thanked him for like this paltry raise that he had just received. It was like two or three percent. He was like, I, he was like, it was the hardest thing I've ever done because I'm like clenching my teeth like, thank you for this. 2% raise. <laughs> Left it under. Fast forward, the next day, his boss comes up to his office and says, can I talk to you? Let's go for a walk. And Greg is like, oh, crap. <laughs> this is not good. I, I This can't be good. So they go outside and his boss thanked him for the note, didn't get like two words into the next sentence and just completely broke down. I mean, sobbed. And he said, you know, his boss said, this is the first note he'd ever received like this. And he's like, he just kind of left it at that. And then he said, and you know why that is? He's like, because I suck as a leader. And he started to confide things. And Greg, he said, you know, my wife left three years ago, which is right about the time that Greg had started. It was only six months before that he'd been promoted. He's leading 300 people. He doesn't know what to do. Life is overwhelming. And he started taking out his frustration on his team. Well, this note 
completely changed everything. So fast forward, his boss promotes Greg. Instead of leaving the company, he gets promoted. He kind of tells Greg to be his accountability partner to help him realize when he's acting like a jerk. He gets a promotion. He gets doubles his salary. He's now making into the six figures. Three months ago, I guess, he received an email from a, it was like a friend of an acquaintance. I mean, kind of a distant relationship guy that he really doesn't even know. And Greg had written this acquaintance, a handwritten thank you note or handwritten note, not a thank you note actually, but it was a part of revolution in a way just to say congratulations. He saw a recent article with him in a newspaper and this friend of the acquaintance just happened to be the CEO of another company profiled in the article. So connecting the dots there and that CEO just signed a $265 million deal with Greg's company, which is the largest in the history of the company by leaps and bounds. They'd never signed a, what is that? Nine figures. They never signed a nine figure deal before. And they signed a $265 million deal. And all from that, originally, if you really trace it back, kind of like we trace back Mary Washington to saving 2 billion people, in a way it all happened because he wrote a thank you note to a person he didn't want to write a thank you note to. Wow. (laughs) Matt, I gotta say, man, I know I'm going to have to have you back on the show because one of the things that we haven't even gotten to cover is mindset. You could talk, I know, for another probably hour about mindset. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can testify to the thank you. The thank you is powerful, man. And if mm-hmm. you can be creative and you can be thoughtful and generous, that goes a long way. So I appreciate you sharing that. As we start to wrap up here, who's doing something that interests you? Okay, this is seriously not butt kissing, I promise. But you. <laughs> Actually, I mean, the both of you to a certain extent. I mean, obviously, Mark is doing some amazing stuff. But Mark introduced me to your stuff, I don't know, four, three, four months ago. And so I've followed you and I have been blown away by what you're doing. Just the, um, I'll share two examples. The fact that you have a co-host. So you're giving two people a platform rather than one. It's creative, first of all, but it's certainly going to come back around to you in spades over time. So I think that's very creative and admirable and certainly something that nobody else is doing that, that I've seen. I'm sure there are, but I've never seen it. And then I think the second thing that is, is really cool is the um, format of your show. I've never heard a show that was produced quite like yours until recently. And you, you were a guest on a show. I don't even remember what, I think it was the 5 a.m. Miracle. Oh. He produced it kind of in the same format that you produced, Star of the Dallas. I was like, wait a minute. I didn't even know what I was listening to. And I hear the beginning. I'm like, well, he copied. Oh, it's because Jared's on the show. Um, <laughs> so because I didn't read the title of the podcast before I listened to it. So I think the fact that you're doing something different within an established space is really cool. Well, I appreciate that, Matt. And may I have your address so I can send you a thank you? (laughs) Absolutely. I'm not going to give it to you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Matt, what's the best place for the listeners to stay connected with you online? The best place for your listeners to go, Jared, is mattmcwilliams.com forward slash starve. Going to have a uh, free resource for them there. We'll cover some of the stuff that we talked about a little bit more in detail. And it's a free ebook that I'll put together for your listeners that they can download there. Thought about making it mattmcwilliams.com forward slash STD, but that, that <laughs> I would have sent the wrong message. <laughs> what am I going to get when I go to this page? Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, good, smart. Good choice. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't have an answer for that. So, <laughs> so. so mattmcwilliams.com forward slash starve. And, and obviously on that page, you can link to, there'll be links to all my other stuff and you can read all about me and check out some posts that I've done. And all of my posts have an audio version, at least for the past year or so. So for those who don't like to read and like to listen, they can do that as well. Hey, Matt, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Final thoughts. I would just go back to that, what we talked about earlier about changing the world. 
and know that my philosophy is that we were born to change the world or else we're unnecessary. And to view yourself as necessary, to view yourself as a world changer. And I think the feedback I've heard from people who've gotten that in deep down inside is they have realized that world changing isn't a big thing. It's in a whole bunch of small things. And and to really get that into your core, to get into your core that you are a world changer, that you were born to make history. And it's not an egotistical thing to say that history will remember you because it will. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Mark, appreciate your time as well. And best wishes to both you guys and your families and your businesses. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Jared. born to be a world changer. I come from the Christian worldview. I believe that God created earth and God created man. And I reserve the right to be wrong about this philosophy, but I feel like God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't just do things just because, and God doesn't have leftover parts 